1: Good morning, this is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, Kiribati is returning to the Pacific Islands Forum, a landmark decision that repairs the fractured diplomatic body. But does more work need to be done to ensure Pacific leaders remain united? We'll find out what the President of the Federated States of Micronesia thinks about that. And in a Pacific first, a building in Papua New Guinea has been certified as green, but in a region where many traditional architectures use wood, leaves and other sustainable materials, what exactly does building green mean? And we'll take you here to the Australian city of Melbourne, where the Pacific community put on a vibrant festival, and there was certainly a lot of people out and about, from dancers to singers to VIP chefs.
2: Yes, I was a personal chef for Her Royal Highness Pilolevu, Princess Pilolevu. At the moment, we try to put everything together, you know, put up the food to make sure everyone is not go hungry. All that
1: and more. Today on the show, I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. So glad to have your company. First, though, Auckland's Pacific community are among the hardest hit in flash floods that devastated New Zealand's North Island. A state of emergency has been declared in the city, with more heavy rain expected in the coming days. Helping coordinate clean-up and relief efforts is South Auckland Councillor Josephine Bartley, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning. Good morning, Australia. Yes, good morning. I, lovely to hear you so upbeat because it has been what we've seen here in Australia, some harrowing last few days in Auckland. Well, what's the situation now, Jo?
3: Um, well, look, the situation now is our communities just mobilised and just getting in there and trying to support each other, trying to get the help to the people that need the help the most. And then also at the same time, trying to um, keep in mind that we still are in the danger zone with the rain that we're expecting. So how do we prepare for the next lot of potential flooding? Mm -hmm. Um, Those Mm -hmm. are probably the main concerns we're going through right now.
1: How bad uh, are you expecting these um, upcoming rains to be?
3: Not as bad as Friday is what the Met Service is telling us. But then again, you know, you can never be too sure. And... What we went through on Friday, nobody knew that was happening. Nobody had warning. So hopefully this time we're a little bit more prepared. And now that we're a state of emergency, we should have that backup um, support so our people aren't left to fend for themselves as they did on Friday night. Yes, do tell us, Joe.
1: I mean, how badly have these floods affected Pacific communities? What what was the fallout from from Friday and and the weekend?
3: Uh, you know, like I'm here at an evacuation centre and people are still coming in in the clothes they wore on Friday because they've lost everything. Um, people are traumatised. People are starting to process that actually they could have died if they didn't take matters into their own hands and get out of the house that they were in and get into another house on that same street that was higher up. So I had people ringing me from homes with all their neighbours in one one house and they couldn't get out of the street because the street was flooded and their family couldn't get into the street to get them because it was, you know, to, it was a river flowing in their street. So, yeah, everyone is processing what happened.
1: Yes, yes. And, and like you said, the, the trauma will, will take a long time to, to recover for, I'm sure, even though the immediate, I guess, pressures now are, are I guess, finding shelter and, and um, food. What, what is actually needed right at the moment?
3: Shelter. Shelter is what is needed and so people have got access to Kainga Order, which is our housing New Zealand here in, in Aotearoa and then um, food. So we've got food parcels, we've got our house providers. Um, the issue I'm working on right now is people with pets aren't able to get anywhere so they're staying in their cars so they can be with their pets. Um, oh, gosh. So yeah, it's, it's quite dire right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and
1: for someone outside of New Zealand, like like myself, uh, Joe, I've never had the, I've never been fortunate enough to visit. Um, can you tell us about why the Pacific, why Pacific communities in particular are, are being affected in these areas? Is is it just an area where the demographic is such that a lot of Pacifica people are there?
3: Yeah, uh, a lot of the areas that are had are low lying. Uh, which uh, would be um, where a lot of our low-income communities are because the rents would be cheaper, obviously. Um, South Auckland, West Auckland have been hit quite badly. And yes, they are predominantly low-income communities, which are our Māori and Pasifika. Mm. Um, There are some areas that have also been hit in the rural uh, parts of the city. Um, So yeah, it's actually starting to hit everybody, but not everybody is well-resourced. And prepare for this. You know, not all our communities here can afford to go get the sandbags and the pumps, which some of our richer areas are doing. Um,
1: and now, uh, Joe, you're, you're um, a councillor there in South Auckland, and. One of the main issues we've been hearing during the floods, and I think you've been touching on it as well, is that it took far too long for emergency messaging to reach people quickly. Um, do you have a sense of whether enough was done to reach Pacific communities, perhaps in their own languages, perhaps in a way that they could easily access and, and act on? Uh,
3: there was nothing done to reach our communities. One uh, Samoan family told me the first they knew something was wrong was when the police turned up at their doorstep at 10.30 p.m. at night. Mm. So it isn't just Basifika communities that didn't know what was going on. It was all of our city.
1: Really. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, when, when I know you're, you're dealing with the immediate impacts of the floods, but there's got to be the question of accountability there. Who do you think the, the blame lies with?
3: It lies at the top. And that is why there, apparently there's a review that's being underway uh, of how decisions were made and things are happening. My personal perspective is um, put that to one side and just focus on recovery and focus on preparing in case it happens again. And then look at the review of the decision-making um, when we're in the clear. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, Auckland's mayor Wayne Brown has been one of those people who've been who's been coming under fire. Some people are saying that he should step down. That it took far too long for for um, him to declare a state of emergency in response to the floods. I, I've seen some community leaders um, from the Pacific community have even called for his resignation. Do you think it's it's not the right time to to start pointing fingers like this, Joe?
3: It's not the right time. Definitely not. People are in need. Um, so let's focus our efforts on the recovery rather than uh, pointing blame. Mm.
1: Um, and now I, I understand one of those um, responses is that schools are being shut for for the whole week um, there in Auckland. Um, what are families telling you about that? I, I imagine that that's going to add some extra pressure and, and mean that they need extra support?
3: Oh, they will. Um, you know, um, this is not the time to... to... You know, lose one of your kind of support mechanisms, which is what the school is for a lot of families here. Um, yeah. Mm. So, but that's the reality. We've got to keep everybody safe, and so there there will be supports put in place for the families at home, probably through the schools. A lot of our kids, that's the only chance they get to have a meal is when they're at school. Um, oh gosh. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, schools are do form that vital, I guess. um a uh, brick between communities and and um the and between families and the wider community. Um, so I can imagine the the shutdown will have an impact. Um, you've said um, Joe online that it's clear that lessons have been learned from the COVID nineteen vaccination campaign during this time during um, this response to the flooding. What what can you tell me about that community spirit there in in South Auckland in, in response to this disaster?
3: Yeah, I'm actually a councillor for Central Auckland. Oh, sorry. But, um, yeah, but I grew up in Mangere, so I, you know I'm out here helping, but also because I'm going where the need is, and for my area that I represent, they'll come here because it's neighbouring. Um, so, yeah, um, what was the
1: question again, sorry? Oh, your lessons learned from the COVID-19 vaccination campaign. I, I, oh, I know you talked about that. Um, yeah, just wanted to hear, hear what some of the parallels are, are now in terms of community spirit.
3: Yeah, look, um, that's what I, I was thinking. Like, have we not learned anything from the COVID vaccination rollout is that take it away from the bureaucracy or the bureaucracy has a part to play, and that is to get in behind the community. So rather than civil defence try and, and set up these evacuation centres themselves, there's more to it when you bring in community together and they bring in the agencies and it's a real community collaborative effort and then you're able to get to the ones that need it. You're able to see what the gaps are and get in there and address it. Um, And speaking
1: about addressing that, um, just finally, uh, Jo, what's needed now? You said people are preparing for another bout of rain. Um, What does that preparation look like? And and when do you think people can start safely returning to their homes?
3: Well, definitely they can't return to their homes. Um, We were out yesterday looking at the houses and some of them are red stickers. Um, So the houses are in no condition to go back into. Um, The preparation is for families that have still got somewhere to live, preparing themselves with water, cans, torches, radio, um, looking at civil defence website for, you know, what you should have in an emergency pack. So making sure you're prepared. You've got some time now to prep. Uh, And then in terms of our agencies, I'm just hoping that, With it being a state of emergency, there is more coordination at a regional level, um, ensuring that, you know, when we are in trouble, those agencies can get to us.
1: Yes, some important notes there and and all the best. Um, Josephine Bartley, thank you so much for joining Pacific Beat this morning in what is a very um, dire situation for you and the other people of um, Central and South Auckland. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Josephine Bartley, not the Councillor of South Auckland, as I mistakenly said earlier, but the Councillor of Central Auckland, speaking to us there about how these floods uh, there in Auckland have affected Pacific communities.
3: Join me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk. I'll be interviewing incredible guests and discussing issues that are in the hearts and minds of Pacific women. When you're younger, you don't really
4: take note of the significance of this ritual. Until you're much older, then you realise that you're proud to be part of this ritual.
3: So join me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk. Witness days at 3.30pm PNG time on ABC
5: Radio Australia.
1: You are listening to ABC Radio Australia. My name is Priyanka Srinivasan. You're joining us here on a Tuesday morning for Pacific Beat, where we look at all the news and current affairs, making uh, headlines and and, and, uh, um, the conversations that hopefully you're having in your homes uh, here. Now, and the Pacific's peak diplomatic body is set to be re- reunited with the nation of Kiribati announcing it would return as member of the Pacific Islands Forum. This means all the Pacific's Micronesian countries will once again be part of the forum after a leadership dispute prompted them to temporarily break away. To discuss the importance of these developments, we're joined now by the Federated States of Micronesia's President David Panuelo, uh, Mr. Panuelo. Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh,
6: how are you, Brianga? Uh, Good to have you. Uh, have talked to you on the program.
1: Yes, lovely to have you once again, uh, Mr. Penweller, to join us. Firstly, this is big news. How do you feel to have Kiribati return to the Pacific Islands Forum?
6: Well, this is a very welcome news. And, of course, I first want to thank uh, the Honorable uh, Sidibani Rambuka, our Uh, current chair, the Prime Minister of Fiji, for making that first uh, international visit and to be in the Pacific, which uh, demonstrates his uh, priority for regional solidarity. So it is a very welcome news, and I understand that he has received a letter from Kiribati with that intention to return to our Pacific Islands uh, Forum family.
1: Yes. How, what do you think prompted Kiribati um, to make that decision, decision, decision to join? You, you mentioned Prime Minister of Fiji's Sitiveni Rambuka's trip to Kiribati. That happened just um, just last week, I believe. Um, he was there to apologise as chairman of the Pacific Islands Forum um, to the president of Kiribati, Tanes Mamao. Do you believe that that, that um, trip, that apology was the reason why Kiribati joined again?
6: Well, I, I I do believe uh, the trip was a culmination of uh, many efforts that we've been doing. <clears throat> As a, a Pacific Islands Forum family, we have been extending that olive branch. As you know, the MPS members have been doing that. Uh, the former chair of the PIF, Painamara, was doing that. And I think this uh, culmination of that. So I, I really thank the uh, current prime minister of Fiji, our uh, forum chair, for doing the, you know, Pacific Way uh, of Talanoa to go and talk to a family member. Uh, so this is a very welcome news. The Micronesian uh, President Summit will be happening in our part of the world, in uh, Pone Bay, Federated States of Micronesia. I will be hosting the gathering of the MBS uh, members. And also, we have a Micronesian Islands Forum, which is a gathering of uh, uh, all of the Micronesian entities, sovereign and uh, non-sovereign entities, territories to have a meeting to strengthen our sub-region of Micronesia. We'll be discussing issues of, uh, you know, the one UN Micronesia house, which is the presence of the United Nations multi-country office in our country, uh, looking after the Micronesian sub-region. The Suva agreement will be one of the uh, topics among other uh, important issues for the Micronesian subregion
1: mm-hmm. yes and that um, Suva agreement being of course the the agreement that got you your country uh, president Panuelo on board to to rejoin the forum um, it outlines I guess leadership plans and and um, and other plans base plans for for the Pacific Islands forum Um do you do you feel, President, that this trip that uh, Rambuka, the Prime Minister of Fiji, took, should have happened earlier? Why wasn't more done earlier to get Kiribati back into the forum?
6: Uh, you know, uh, all of the entities, including the former uh, chair of the Pacific Islands Forum, uh, we were all doing uh, many efforts to uh, reach out to Kiribati. So. Uh, you know, it's not lack of effort. I, I do believe that it's a matter of time. And so this is the right timing. So we just have to, uh, you know, give a, a, a good moment now and thank Kiribati, our, uh, our, the Pacific Highlands Forum uh, uh, member, that they have now decided to rejoin the Pacific Islands Forum. Uh, we also received a... Leather. I received a very good letter from uh, uh, current forum chair, the Honorable uh, Sidovene Rambuka, uh, indicating that there will be a special forum leaders uh, meeting. Uh, and then uh, we asked that uh, they consider around mid-March, so that after the meeting of the Micronesian President Summit and the Micronesian Islands Forum, And having come together to discuss the issues, uh, we will be ready to join the uh, special forum leaders' meeting to discuss with the rest of the members of the Pacific Islands Forum matters of importance, including implementation of the SUVA agreement in Fiji.
1: Mm. Now, um, President Panwila, I I wanted to step back a bit, because often when we talk about these big meetings, these um, forums, these diplomatic bodies, um we forget what what why it matters um you're you're obviously president of Federated States of Micronesia you care most of all for for your people for your people in the islands why is unity at the Pacific Islands Forum so important to the people not just of um FSM but also the larger pacific as a whole
6: well uh, regional uh, you know solidarity is a very important one uh, we've come past that stage uh, uh, you know of uh, a fragmentation. Uh, I think the Micronesian uh, sub-region uh, uh, went at it by by being frank about what we were not happy with. Uh, reforms were accomplished you know, during those meetings, uh, and then uh, reforms are done, and uh, the forum is one strong entity that I doubt uh, will ever be fractured again in the future when we have these issues of inequity we have to discuss in a frank, open manner. We've accomplished that. Reforms are done, and the SUBA agreement is the, uh, the mechanism by which to implement, uh, signed by every member except Kiribati. So now that Kiribati is coming into the family as the last member to make it complete, and now we're going to discuss implementation of the Suva agreement, and it is important because the solitary, the Pacific Island uh, uh, countries through the Pacific Islands Forum uh, family will mean that our positions will be uh, very strong on climate change, on uh, geopolitics, on economic development and security issues held. We've just come out of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Now we have to discuss uh, uh, mechanisms of strengthening our economic uh, uh, growth uh, collectively throughout the Pacific Island countries. and. Uh, I've always said that no man is an island. The Pacific Island countries in our blue Pacific continent is one body that must be together to combat everything, all the issues that are important to us and in our cooperation with our development partners. Uh,
1: Do you think there are any um, fears, um, President Panuelo, that um, the Pacific Islands Forum might break apart once again?
6: I, I absolutely doubt it. And I was one of the, uh, you know, uh, actors, so to speak, uh, representing the uh, Micronesian President Summit. Uh, I really absolutely doubt that uh, the forum will be fractured uh, ever again. Uh, What happened was uh, that we expressed our our grievances and it was uh, accomplished. Uh, We, the Pacific Island uh, family, are now uh, poised at uh, working together and this is a very welcome news that Kiribati will be rejoining uh, the uh, Forum family uh, again.
1: Do you know, um, President, if, if Kiribati negotiated any deals to, to get them to return uh, to the forum? I, I'm particularly looking at Kiribati's relationship with China, which has um, become quite strong over the past few years. Do you think coming back in the forum, Kiribati will perhaps lobby more for, um, for China or for PIF members at least to support um, China's proposed region-wide trade deals, for instance?
6: Well, uh, you know, I can't speak to uh, what Kiribati does on a bilateral basis, but on a multilateral level, uh, speaking through a, as a, a forum family, it is uh, understood that the Pacific Islands Forum, when we are talking about overall issues of uh, security, uh, like geopolitics, it is something that must be uh, uh, discussed. Through the multilateral mechanism of our uh, forum family so that implications can be discussed fully and then that we reach, uh, that we reach a uh, consensus on matters of importance uh, such as that uh, among other important issues. So I really, I really am very confident with the uh, strength of our uh, Pacific Islands Forum today and to complete that uh, uh, forum family. Uh, Kiribati rejoining, <laughs> he's, he's a very welcome news.
1: Yes. Uh, do you think uh, Fiji's recent change in government, President Panuelo, had anything to do with Kiribati's decision to return?
6: Well, you know, uh, governments change, of course, because we do, as politicians, get the mandate from the citizens. Uh, elections happens, and then, you know, uh, whether it's the same government or, or a, a change of government but the uh, objective is that we maintain continuity in the uh, forum family and that we work together as uh, pacific brothers and sisters in strengthening our blue pacific continent and of course uh, the pacific islands forum through the forum secretariat we appreciate uh, the secretary general's efforts uh, my friend uh, Henry Puna, who recognizes all of these things and of course we welcome, uh, uh, you know, the transition of uh, also chairmanship, as you know, that uh, Cook Islands uh, will be the next uh, host of the uh, uh, Pacific Islands uh, uh, forum mm. uh, meetings. And so that's a welcome news. And I thank Fiji for carrying the mandel uh, with the new uh, uh, prime minister, who's a friend of uh, Micronesia, Sidibani Rambuga. I, I have confidence in him that he will uh, carry us forward in this capacity currently as chair of the Pacific Islands Forum and transitioning it to uh, uh, Cook Islands, which I know they're <laughs> they're going to be looking forward to uh, uh, chairing our Pacific Islands uh, Forum this year.
1: Yes, indeed. Well, President Penwell, you've got, it sounds like, very many meetings and, and uh, diplomatic forums to attend to in the coming months. Thank you so much for making time this morning to speak to uh, Pacific Week on this very important issue.
6: I uh, thank you, Priyanka, for having me on your program. You take care and be safe.
1: Thank you, you too. That was the Federated States of Micronesia President David Panwela speaking to us there about that important development when it comes to the Pacific's peak diplomatic body. That's the Pacific Islands Forum, with Kitterbus announcing it will return to the forum. <laughs> And we're at that time on Pacific Beach where you uh, put down your coffee. Maybe you want to, um, you know, drive to the side of the road if you are... No, did, may, perhaps don't do that. I'm, I'm trying to change <laughs> these up, Kyle, these uh, entries to, into NewsRough. But we are at that time where we find out what's making news around the region. And I am, of course, joined by Kyle Evans. You have some important stories today. I just wanted people to be prepared, you know, Kyle? Yeah,
7: great intro too. I look forward to, forward to them uh, every day.
1: <laughs> we have some shark bites. We have um, some interesting things happening in Vanuatu and Fiji. Well, let's start in Fiji, actually. Because the chief executive of the Fiji Broadcasting Corporation, their position has been terminated... How's this come about?
7: Yeah, so really interesting one. So the uh, the FBC board has terminated the contract of the well now former chief uh, Riaz Sayed Kayum. Um, this is reported by the FBC. Uh, no surprises there. Um, <laughs> who released a statement uh, in which the board chair Aj Armit says they had no confidence in the ability of the of the current CEO. Um, they didn't exactly specify why. However, they did. They did uh, ma- um, actually ma- make aware of some alarming expenditure that came out of the the, SB, uh, the FBC. Apparently, the former CEO had been earning more than government ministers and uh, and even the prime minister. Um, not only that, uh, he also um, the FBC also confirmed rumours that the purchase of a vehicle was made for the CEO at nearly at a cost of nearly two hundred thousand uh, dollars of taxpayer funds. Uh, something which the board considers highly inappropriate. Uh, and as a result, a review will be undertaken with the government uh, into the current grants and the expenditure of the FBC, which since 2008 has exceeded about $93 million.
1: Oh, wow, quite a lot. And, um, of course, that CEO, Riaz Syed Kayum is the brother of the former Attorney General Ayaz Syed Qayyum, and and it follows quite a number of suspensions. I mean, I guess this one um we understand wasn't made by the the government the fbc being mm-hmm an independent organisation. You'd hope not, but it was done by the board of that organisation and, and comes after a lot of other suspensions in high-level positions. We were reporting just yesterday about the um, police commissioner and and the um, prisons commissioner also being suspended. And there's another suspension. I understand Fiji's chief justice has also been suspended, Kyle,
7: Yeah, that's right. That's right. The uh, the slate is, is continuing to be wiped clean. Um, so Fiji's president has actually suspended uh, the ch- um, chief justice, uh Kumar Kumar, with full pay uh, on the advice of the, the new PM, Sidhavani Rambuka. So um, that follows complaints um, uh, lodged against the Chief Justice for, for misbehaviour, though I couldn't find um, anything online just, just around those the, those allegations. However, a special tribunal will be appointed to carry out an investigation into that allegation. Uh, however, in the meantime, he won't have to vacate uh, his official residence uh, for now until that uh, that investigation is carried out.
1: I mean, it's a dramatic. I keep on saying it's been, what, two months since the this new government came into power. Um, I know the the military there in um, Fiji has, has uh, cautioned against the government for making sweeping changes to the country. But it's hard not to call these sweeping changes because there has been a lot of leadership changes, a lot of new things put in place by this new government. And the question is posed, A, is it moving too fast? But also, what Impacts will this, these changes have? I'm particularly mm. interested in the impacts on the on the media with this, these changes in in its national broadcaster FBC. I wonder if we'll see different stories being put out, um, journalists being uh, asking different questions, perhaps to the government. Mm. Um, yeah, very very interesting times for Fiji, and, and yeah, I'm very fascinated to know how it'll plan out. If you want to put in your bets, <laughs> get in touch to the ABC Pacific. What do you think about this? Is it moving too fast? Is the new city of any Rambuka government moving too fast or um or on the other hand do you think it's moving just at the right pace and are you um, perhaps excited to see some of the changes that might be on the way in Fiji um, do let us know um now let's head to Vanuatu because this is some very sad news the headquarters of the Malvatumari National Council of Chiefs that's the I guess um, leading organization for chiefs in Vanuatu it's been bent to the ground can you tell us more Carl?
7: Yeah, so not a lot of uh, information on this so far. Uh, the Daily Post—it's it's their headline story at the moment. Uh, they've reported that it has been torched. Um, the report was very brief. They, they don't specify how it was torched, or even if it was deliberate, or if it was an accident. Uh, however, it does say that the uh, the president of the Na- uh, National Council Council of Chiefs, uh, Willie Plasua, arrived at the scene with tears in his eyes.
1: Yes, I have been looking at social media and have some, you know, a big outcry um, from people in Vanuatu to have such an iconic building. I mean, I've, I saw um, uh, Dan McGarry, a local journalist in Vanuatu, call it, you know, similar to the Notre Dame mm. fire. And, you know, it's that iconic for the people of Vanuatu. Um, I, I, I can't imagine what in Australia is is just as iconic as the um headquarters. Uh, but yes, a very sad day for the people of Vanuatu. I understand police are still investigating. They haven't said what the cause is yet um we can only hope that uh, another building just as beautiful and just as strong can be built very soon um and now let's head to new caledonia where all swim beaches have been closed following a shark bite there what's happened
7: Yeah, so uh, all swimming beaches uh, in Numia were closed until further notice uh, after a a 49-year-old woman uh, was mauled yesterday. So it actually happened near a buoy, uh, which was marking the swimming area about 100 metres off one of the city's most popular swimming beaches. Um, It was actually a paddleboarder which heard her screams and and came to her rescue and, uh, and took her to shore.
1: Oh dear, is she okay?
7: Uh, She's in hospital in serious condition, according to the latest reports I've read. Uh, Suffered a number of injuries, obviously, uh, mainly to her hands, thighs uh, and back. Uh, it's actually been suggested that heavy rain might have actually been to blame uh, for the shark's presence just due, just due to the runoff in the water. So oh, really? it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. But um, yeah, as for the woman, let's hope she can pull through.
1: Yes, indeed. Let's hopefully hope she makes a swift recovery. But I guess a reminder that we do share our oceans with other creatures and our lands, but also our oceans. And, and obviously to be aware that, um, yes, that can sometimes mean harm gets in our way. Carl, uh, thank you for the stories. Thank you, Pranka. That was Carl Evans bringing us the latest from around the Pacific. Celebrate the pride of the Pacific. You know, We're
8: proud of our country and our heritage. Stay up to date with all the latest sporting news. <laughs>
4: so emotional every time you go out there and you see the, you know, the national anthem.
1: And hear inspiring stories from some of the Pacific's finest athletes.
5: I've grown so much confidence within myself and I never thought I would be the player that I am today. Watch
1: That Pacific Sports Show Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. G time on ABC Australia. You are listening to ABC Radio Australia. Coming up, we'll have a look at the first Pacific building that's been called a green building. It's been certified as a green building, in fact. It's in Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. We'll find out what exactly that means. But first, members of Melbourne's Pacifica community were out in force for a new Pacific Food and Cultural Festival over the weekend. Our reporter Hugo Hodge went along to find out what it was all about.
8: It's 33 degrees here in Tarnia today, in the west of Melbourne, but that hasn't stopped. Hundreds flocking down to the inaugural Nisian Rising Festival. It's a brand new Pacifica Community Festival and it looks like a lot of fun, so let's go check it out.
4: My name is Vicky and uh, I am part of this community organization called the Pacifica Community of Australia, and we've organized this um, Nisian Rice Festival. Nisian is the festival's name for today. Nisian stands for Polynesian, Micronesian, and Melanesian. We try to bring all our um, diverse you know, Pacific Island people together. So today is a great day.
8: G'day, guys. I can see you both dancing along. Tell us, uh, what's the vibes like today? Ah, uh, no, it's awesome. It's good to see our own people out here, different cultures and stuff, and just embracing it all. So it's awesome. And when you say your own people, who are you talking about? Uh, Māori, Tongan,
4: Tongan. Samoan. Samoan all the Pacific Islanders. We've got Fijian family here, all the Pacifics, all here. So it's awesome.
5: Hi, everyone. I'm Sane Katoa.
2: Hi everyone, my name is
8: Felipe Simonetti. Okay, so you're both from the Pacifica community of Australia. Was the idea behind the festival you saw like a lack of big events for the Pacifica community? Or was there already community events, but you you guys thought you wanted to do something a little bit different to what was already
2: out there? This is our first time uh, hosting an event here in Tarnit.
3: We've had other community, I mean Pacific yeah. community, but on southeast. So this is our first one in West Side. So we're just super excited that this is like a start. Um, and this is not the end. So we're just going to continue hosting whatever we can for the community it is a non-profit event and so we love just to whatever we can do to, to help our community come together and especially for our youth that's what we're doing today so we're just building that
2: will you be getting up and dancing later on yes of course yes <laughs> we just at the moment we try to put everything together you know put up the food to uh, make sure everyone is not go hungry
8: i heard you are a former chef of the
2: king of tonga <laughs> what well, can you is this can you confirm Yes, I was a personal chef for Her Royal Highness Bilolevu, Princess Bilolevu, and her um, husband, Honorable Twitter, for almost 10 years. Well, you must be a pretty good cook. Uh, can you tell me uh, what was the princess's favorite dish? Oh. Um, okay, uh, the princess love uh, eat um, uh, some of the cuisine, especially Italian cuisine, and some uh, Polynesian cuisine. What I mean, there is no cookbook we call Polynesian cuisine, but it's a mix of varieties. If you have big events, we normally stay, stay focused on the old English dishes, like from Eng- England, England dishes, yeah. It's old English baking and stuff like that.
8: Well, sounds like she has broad tastes <laughs> in uh, lots of different, different okay. cuisines. Why did you decide to come out to the festival today?
5: Um, it's mainly because it's to enhance uh, support and encourage our Pacific Island people to come together. And, and what is it like to come
8: out and uh, be with the Pacifica community after you know, years of COVID lockdowns?
5: I think this is what we needed, mainly because um, we we're restricted of doing things. So now it's time to let go. We hear new upcoming artists, especially from the youth. Um, and it's beautiful to see them shine up there on the stage.
8: Is this a big Pacific community area around here?
5: Uh, yes, it's um, around Tane, Werribee, and Point Cook. There is a a big, big community for Pacific Islanders slowly coming, um, migrating from the north. And um, yeah, this is going to be the new hub. Come to the west, yeah.
8: And is, is, is the community out here growing every year?
5: All the time, there's, like, a big um, move and growth in the P- Papua New Guinean community, um, Fijian community starting. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of them, and Samoans are everywhere. So watch out, people. The
4: performance that we saw is a little bit... Um uh, sh- sh- culture of Puka Island in Bougainville, Papua New Guinea. So we're just are showing, showcasing a bit of a touch of our culture, our unique culture.
8: Right. And what kind of um, story and themes were behind the dance that we saw?
4: It's all about our lifestyle in the island. That's the tradition that we hold close to our heart and we want to pass it on to our children.
8: Why is it important to you to pass it on to your children?
4: We want to pass it on and record it because in the past we've never recorded it. It has been verbally passed on. So my grandmother passed it on through teaching me. So it is very important for us as parents, as a mum and dad, for our three boys to do that.
8: And what do you, what do you boys think about, about learning the dance and practising it? Does it... Bring you a lot of pride, showcasing your culture like this?
4: Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah.
8: Makes Mum proud?
4: Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah.
8: I'm sure these boys are on TikTok. Maybe they're sharing the dances there?
4: They do. We, we, The last dance we did, I think that was the highest viewers in TikTok and Facebook. What
8: makes a Pacifica community event different to other festivals?
6: Simply because we embrace all walks of life, uh,
8: we don't discriminate anyone, it doesn't matter what colour you are,
6: what culture, we embrace all diversity, just come in, enjoy, learn, educate yourself about Pacific, there's about 10 plus countries, we walk and unite under this one umbrella,
8: it's, it's just such a joy.
1: A uh, story like that makes me was really happy to be in Melbourne. It can feel very, very far from the Pacific, but the community is always near us. That was Tonya Toy, president of the Pacifica community of Australia, ending that report from Hugo Hodge. You're listening to Pacific Beat. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. A landmark building in Papua New Guinea's capital has undergone an environmentally friendly makeover. The At 345 is now the first building in the Pacific to be accredited as a green building by the International Finance Corporation's EDGE system. That EDGE stands for excellence in design for greater efficiencies. Marcus Scheuermeier is the IFC resident representative for Papua New Guinea and joins us now. Good morning to you, Marcus.
0: Good morning, Priyanka.
1: Um, as I mentioned, this AT345 is now a green building. What what does it uh, exactly mean to be accredited with this?
0: Well, thank you. Um, um, this is a uh, process which has uh, been around for quite a number of years, uh, which was set up by IFC and is now run as an autonomous um, certification rating system. And essentially, what it means is, in order to be EDGE certified, you need to achieve twenty percent savings in energy consumption, water consumptions, and in the materials you're using for a building.
1: Mm. So, twenty percent savings—does that mean if a building was was polluting a lot before, they reduce by twenty percent, and they get the green tick?
0: Well, so um, exactly. So there's a, a, a range of, of metrics and a baseline. So for uh, existing buildings, uh, there can be a certification. For new buildings, uh, there can be a review of, I guess, the plans and see if it meets uh, edge uh, standards. But there's a whole system uh, in place, um, and there's actually a website where people can look up uh, the information as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what's involved? You said 20% savings when it comes to um, energy usage, water usage. Um, what's involved with actually getting this accreditation to become a, a green building? Uh, are they inspected? Um, do they need to continue to hit certain benchmarks to keep this accreditation?
0: So EDGE was started by the International Finance Corporation, but as mentioned, is is run uh, autonomously. Um there are a number of uh, metrics uh, and baselines. So uh, when a building applies for a or a company applies for a certification, then uh, edge um, I guess uh, inspectors or certifiers check if it meets uh, the standards. Uh, there is a preliminary certification for a new build and there's a final certification for an existing project. And there are two companies that uh, do the certification. So it is independent of IFC, um, one called the Green Building Council and the other one called Centali. So while IFC creators, created and manages uh, the, the EDGE program, uh, the EDGE certifiers are the ones that certify the project.
1: Okay. So why is it important to have um, green buildings like this this one, this first one in the Pacific, um, 345 in, in Port Moresby?
0: Well, um, I think uh, we, we all know that uh, there is a climate uh, crisis uh, and that we need to actually find uh, ways to reduce uh, carbon uh, dioxide emissions. So green buildings were started a number of years ago and focus on um, energy, water, and I guess building material efficiency. Um, they allow um, a, uh, a redesign or for new builds, a, a new design of uh, of um, the way uh, things are um, put together in a, in a building, in order to reduce the uh, carbon emissions. So, for example, the steamships building in uh, in uh, Port Moresby, which you which you just mentioned, uh, was able to achieve fairly significant uh, savings in uh, in terms of uh, energy. I think uh, in the order of forty percent, uh, water in the order of thirty five percent, and uh, um, generally speaking, reduce the amount of carbon dioxide emission by at least 60 tonnes uh, per year.
1: And um, Marcus, you, you were explaining before that um, this is a savings, I guess, that, that provides the certification. Does that mean it make it harder for buildings that are already sustainable, that already meet quite high, I guess, green specifications to to get the certification? Because 20% for them would be, I guess, a bigger bigger chunk of what they're doing.
0: Well, um, I mean, there's nothing that uh, prevents uh, someone from applying uh, for a certification for existing buildings, and I guess if you look at, let's say, uh, settlements uh, across the Pacific, many of them are green uh, by by default. But uh, it is a way to to have a, an international standard, and a standard that actually also helps, uh, I guess, uh, those who apply for 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 the certificate, because the reduction in in energy, water, and in, in building material consumption is not only, um, I guess, a plus for the planet in terms of uh, carbon uh, emission uh, uh, reduction, but also a, a material saving for, for, for those who apply for the certificate. They uh, actually need less energy um, to operate uh, their, uh, their business
1: yes a win-win as they say I guess Um, if you are just tuning us uh, tuning in to Pacific Beach uh, you're with us uh, on your Tuesday morning we're joined by Marcus Shoyamai. he's the IFC resident representative for Papua New Guinea the reason why we're talking to Marcus is because the first building in the Pacific has been accredited as a green building that's through an edge system excellence in design for greater efficiencies and we're, we're finding out what exactly that means a saving in in carbon um, emissions, a saving in water, a saving in, in I guess energy usage as well, um, to receive this uh, cr- accreditation. Um, why do you think it has taken so long, Marcus, to have um, such a green building, such an accredited green building in the Pacific?
0: well i think there are two reasons one is uh, maybe the awareness of it is not as as widespread uh, as mentioned the system started in um, in in the united states and in a number of uh, european and other countries australia of course also has uh, edge certification uh, systems in place at least green building su- systems uh, certification in place um It is a first step uh, here in uh, Papua New Guinea, and I'm actually quite glad that this uh, is uh, being communicated uh, to your audience uh, today. But if you look at, for example, uh, other countries, so we've been quite active in Colombia and South America. And there, um, back in 2017, so five, six years ago, only 1% of uh, new builds were uh, green certified or edge certified. Now it's about 20%. And uh, altogether, it's about uh, 7 million square meters of um, green space, green buildings that have been actually uh, certified uh, through EDGE. So what we see in a a lot of places is is almost an exponential growth in in, in green buildings because one, uh, companies realize that uh, this is important, and two, it's also, as mentioned, a way to save save energy.
1: Mm. Uh, Do companies have to pay to get the accreditation?
0: Yes so um, there is a website uh, which is uh, green um, uh, edgebuildings.com which lays out uh, the fees the fees are not uh, massive uh, they're in the order of a few thousand US dollars. It depends of course on on the countries uh, it depends on the size of the building but uh, there is uh, there is a whole um, I guess uh, structure to it and there's also uh, if I if I may add, different levels of, of, of edge. So there's the edge certification that we're talking about. But uh, I guess applicants uh, can also uh, apply for zero carbon buildings where essentially there is no carbon emission anymore. Um, and this is all laid out in in, in the website, edgebuildings.com.
1: Mm. Uh, and as you mentioned earlier, Marcus, I, I guess a lot of um, traditional buildings in the Pacific are probably already um, fairly carbon neutral and and aren't as polluting as many buildings that we might see. Well, I'm, I'm in Melbourne, so perhaps our skyline probably doesn't isn't isn't quite so sustainable. Um, is there a urgent push to get Pacific buildings certified, or, or are things uh, you know are buildings in the Pacific? Let's just say not not. Quite part of the problem when it comes to global emissions reductions.
0: Well, I think this is this is, uh, of course, uh, the uh, the irony. The, the Pacific has, generally speaking, not contributed much to, to carbon emissions, uh, but is at uh, the forefront of climate change. Uh, we've seen uh, you know, the devastation that some cyclones have uh, brought upon a number of islands in, in the Pacific. But uh, I think more importantly, in terms of um, um the way the way forward so what we have oftentimes in in the pacific is is traditional settlements and they, they're almost green by by default uh, if uh, if you will and and new uh commercial buildings and and, and, and residential buildings that need to to become uh, more efficient. Uh, the traditional construction method over the last few years has been to to, to put in concrete and to use air conditioning for, uh, I guess, uh, climate, uh, climate-related climate issues inside the buildings. The edge, the certification system, the green building um, framework uh, drives, uh, drives more efficiencies. And I think this is quite important, uh, let's say over the next 20 or 30 years, as cities become bigger in the Pacific and people May uh, may be moving into formal housing in um, in those settings.
1: Mm, yes, very interesting. I, I I would love to see Marcus a, a traditional Pacific style uh, building that that receives this accreditation. Perhaps that's sure. uh, next in the books. A good idea. Yeah, um, and I mean, what is next for for Edge, um, particularly in the Pacific? Do you hope that maybe in in um, Port Moresby, particular where we see a lot of these um, larger buildings, that more buildings will sign up and and try and make become greener?
0: Yes, so uh, we are certainly hoping that uh, more will uh, do so. Steamships, uh, the company that has actually uh, the building that we're talking about, uh, has been a uh, a trailblazer, if you will, in in, in Papua New Guinea. Um, and I hope that uh, with the publicity that uh, that uh, that uh, this building is getting, that more will actually apply for for an EDGE certification. Um, but uh, yeah, it's important to to spread the word and uh, and. Uh, allow people to see what it can actually uh, bring and how they can benefit from it.
1: Wonderful. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for your time this morning on Pacific Beat and telling us all about this, uh, these EDGE uh, certifications.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much, Priyanka. And
1: that was Marcus Scheumeier, the IFC resident representative for Papua New Guinea, speaking to us about well, I was calling it at three four five. Um Marcus there was calling it the steamship building there in Port Moresby. If you've seen it, maybe maybe take a picture. We have some before and afters. I'd love to see that. Um, I'd love to see uh, what, what changes have been made to the building uh, to make it green. To uh, send them in. You can find us at ABC Pacific. Now, you've been listening to a Tuesday edition of our show. We started off in New Zealand where we had a look at the flooding there in Auckland and saw what impact that's having on Pacific communities. And we heard, well, displacement is the main problem. Finding shelter for so many of uh, the families of particularly Pacific families who've been displaced from those floods is the main priority for people there. They're bracing for more rain, more potential flooding, And that is their priority to get things cleaned up there. Um, We also chatted to the president of the Federated States of Micronesia, David Panwilo. He spoke to us about that major announcement out of the Pacific Islands Forum that Kiribati, the country that once, uh, with other Micronesian countries, left the forum, is now coming back. That's it for Pacific Beat. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan, and I hope you have a lovely day.